And we are just continuing our message series out of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's after the resurrection. Jesus has conquered sin, death, and hell over the course of 40 days. He's revealing himself to over 500 people according to scripture, his resurrected form. And just before he ascends into heaven, he gathers his disciples on the Mount of Olives and he gives them this charge. Matthew 28, verse 18 Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We talked about this last week, about the authority that Jesus was giving to us and how to walk in that. Verse 19, Therefore, go and make disciples. What are we supposed to do with that authority? We're supposed to go. Not just go, but go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this should be one of the most well-known passages for every Christian, because this is literally our mission statement. This is our assignment while we're here on earth before he comes to take us home. And yet Barna Research did a study recently and they asked Christians different questions about missions, about social justice, about spreading the gospel around the world. And one of the questions they asked was, do you know what the Great Commission is? Sadly, 51% replied they did not know what this phrase meant. Only 17% of the Christians that were questioned even know that it referred to this charge we just read out of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now, there's no shame here. If you're watching right now and you didn't know what the Great Commission is, I'm glad you're here. That's actually why we're spending a couple of weeks to make sure that we all know exactly what it is that Jesus is calling us to do, that we are to both be disciples and to make disciples, that we have been given authority to go, that God is calling us to spread the good news about Jesus Christ to the world. And this reminds us the difference of what just one person can make. Jesus giving each of this assignment that to let people know that in this harsh world, there is a bastion of safety and salvation through Jesus Christ. And here's what we have to understand is that the Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. It's not like, well, you know, if you have time, you can tell some people about Jesus. No, no, that charge given to the the disciples there on the Mount of Olives is for every disciple who is a follower of Jesus today. If we're not careful, the Great Commission becomes the Great Suggestion, becomes the Great Omission in our very Christian faith. And we can't say we are Christ followers if we're not actually following through with what it is that he asked us to do. So when we come together here, we have to remember this is our call. This is our mission and he's called all of us to be a catalyst. Now, you know what a catalyst is, right? It's sometimes a chemical uh, term used for for chemical combinations that create something that wasn't there before apart from a, a catalyst. A catalyst is also a person that precipitates an event that brings about a change just by being present. Did you catch that? Just by being present, the way you talk. Your enthusiasm and your love for Christ, your energy causes other people to want to find out what it is you're talking about. Just by being present, you're precipitating an event. Just by you watching this right now and then sharing it with someone else, you can be a catalyst for change. 
So we must understand that the Great Commission is a catalytic command. In fact, that's our, our first point. This catalytic command is Jesus said, go. Well, where do we go? Well, we are going to go to all the world, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the world. But first of all, we need to go to those we know. We just go to Jerusalem. For the disciples, that was their crew. That was their people. That's where they lived. And he said, yes, you're going to go to the nations, but you have to start with those that you know. Now, let's just be honest. Most of us would rather go to the ends of the earth before going to those that we know. I mean, I've been on mission trips and it's a lot easier to share Jesus with people that I don't know, that don't know me and that I'm never going to see again. The real challenge is Jerusalem. The real challenge in this catalytic command is going to those we know. Why? Because they know us. Yeah, they've seen us at our best and they've seen us at our worst, right? Our family, our friends and our co-workers and we're probably thinking, oh my gosh, I have no right to share Jesus with them because there's been many times when I have not shown Jesus to them. And yet this is exactly where Jesus calls us to go. In fact, for most of Jesus' ministry, it was actually to those he knew, to the people of Israel. Yet every now and then he would give us a model for what it looks like to reach out beyond that. Uh, in John chapter 4, the, the, the woman the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, he spent time reaching her and she ended up reaching her whole village. We see another example of Jesus reaching out beyond the people of Israel in, in this passage we're going to be studying in Mark chapter 5. Where we, what we find out going on here is there's a man that is demon-possessed, so many demons they're called legion. And this man lived in the Decapolis, which was a, a Greek area. And it's the Decapolis, or the Ten Towns, also known as the Gadarenes. And they kicked him out of the towns because he was nothing but destructive. They put chains around him, and he broke those chains off. I mean, this man was wild and crazy so much that he tore off all of his clothes, and he ran around living in the cemeteries. Like, I'm surprised Hollywood hasn't made a movie about this guy yet, because it's just begging for one of those horror movies and yet here's what happens when Jesus steps onto the shore with his disciples walking in that authority that we talked about last week the demons all of a sudden are arrested and they run up and they fall uh, to their knees inside of this man and they said what have you to do with us why are you here and the demons begged to be sent into a group of pigs. And so Jesus cast the demons out of this man and they all go inside of these pigs. And of course, being uh, Gentiles, their pork was one of their main uh, economies and their pork profits fell hard. If you know the story, you know what I'm talking about because all those demon-possessed pigs run off the cliff and fall into uh, the ravine. Now, it's such a bizarre story, and yet the outcome of this gets even weirder because instead of the people of the Decapolis, of the Ten Towns, instead of them rejoicing and going, yay, this is wonderful, we're so excited that our friend or our family member is free, look, look at what happens here. Uh, those who had seen it in Mark 5 verse 16, those who had seen it, what had happened with, with this man who is now well clothed and speaking normally, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to come have dinner with them and tell them all about the kingdom of God. No, 
That's not what it says. It says people began to plead with Jesus to get out of there. They wanted him to leave. He totally messed everything up. They didn't care about, about this guy as much as they cared about their prophets and, and their herds of pigs that were, had all been destroyed. So look at this. At verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Now, I, I'd feel the same way, right? Um, you'd been rejected by all of the people that you know and love. They'd seen this man at his very worst and demonically possessed. He wants to go with this man, Jesus, who's just set him free. But look at Jesus' answer. Jesus said no. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home. What? Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This is insane. The, the guy who invites random fishermen to follow him won't let this guy who's just been set free go in the boat. What, I mean, there had to be room in the boat, right? I mean, was Jesus just, he didn't like unlucky 13. So he's like, no, 12 guys is all I need. No, no, no. It wasn't, Jesus wasn't rejecting him. Jesus just knew that the worst thing he could do was to remove the catalyst of change that would change the Decapolis, that change those 10 cities. He knew that the last thing this man wanted to do was actually the first thing he needed to do, which was to go back to those he knew and tell them the story. Tell them about this man. Now, you, you can just imagine. It doesn't say what conversations ensued, but you can just imagine this guy looking at Jesus going, Jesus, I can't go back. I can't go back there. They all saw me naked. I can just picture Jesus looking at him going, then you can tell them who clothed you. But, but Jesus, Jesus, the, the things that I said and did, I don't even remember half of them. Then you can tell them who sent the demons fleeing, Jesus might say. But Jesus, what am I supposed to tell them? And you can picture Jesus looking him in the eyes with that great compassion and saying, just tell them you meant mercy. You saw mercy face to face. That grace has set you free. Someone else will talk to them, Jesus. Just let me go. And yet Jesus knew a catalyst, that person who's present, that precipitates a change. He needed to be present in that group because guess what? Those people didn't want Jesus around, but they sure knew who this guy was. They didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus in the Decapolis in these 10 towns. And you know what? We know people that feel that way. There's people in our world where we wake and work and that... They don't want to have anything to do with Jesus or church. They don't even know that, that he's even real. But they do know you. And it could be the last thing you want to do is the first thing we need to do, which is to go back to those we knew and tell them about Jesus. They saw you at your worst, then guess what? Now they're going to see the transformation better than anybody else can. You become the proof that Jesus is real, that the gospel is true. The message is in the mess. Jesus isn't looking for the perfect. No, no, he's just looking for the available. 
And, and if you and I can see the difference that one person can make, because no doubt this guy's like, what, what, what change can I possibly affect? If you and I can understand that this catalytic command is even if no one else is around doing it, that God has called you and I to follow through in it. I mean, you just look at examples of one person, how one person can affect a change in an entire area, region, sometimes a nation. Gandhi, for instance, they were, they were under um, uh, British rule. And they were being taxed incredibly and it was hurting everybody. And Gandhi, one man, just decides he's going to stand up and through passive resistance brings about an economic and class change in the entire country of India. He said, we need to be the change we wish to see in the world. That's someone who knew that a catalyst, a person present to precipitate change can make a difference if they simply Go to those they know. Now, what, what about Rosa Parks? You know, she wasn't looking to be the, the face necessarily on a movement. She wasn't worried about what people would call her. She was worried about the future of her country. And one day she decided, I'm not going to go to the back of the bus. And I love this quote, stand for something or you will fall for anything. Today's mighty oak is yesterday's nut that held its ground. I love that. That uh, she understood she could be a catalyst for change. And on December 1st, 1955, her defiance, defiance changed the course of civil rights in American history just because she decided, I'm not going to take this. I'm going to go to those I know and do what is right. Now, this picture right here is one of the most used and popular pictures of all. And this guy is known as the Tank Man. And standing in front of this group of tanks in the Tiananmen Square on June 4th, 1989. This is kind of known as the 89 Democracy Movement. And it's one of the most popular photos of all time because it shows the difference that one person can make in changing things. It changed, started a national movement for de democracy. And, and you and I need to understand God isn't necessarily asking us to stand in front of tanks. But we can slow the role of evil in our homes and our workplaces and our city and our nation if we will understand the difference one man or one woman can make when we're willing to be that catalyst for change when we're willing to go to those we know i mean even this weekend we were just celebrating uh the the 19th anniversary of of the terrorist attacks on 9 11. And how so many stories came out about one person deciding they're going to run in when everyone else is running out. They're going to save lives when everyone else was looking to save their own lives. Listen, God has called us to start first with those that we know and know us the best. It may not be where we want to go. I, I promise you that man uh, did not want to go back to his people. But the change that happened was amazing and you and I have to understand that it all starts with this face-to-face -face opportunity. Right now in this time of isolation, insulation, everyone staying at home, we need each other. We need to see each other face-to-face -face more than ever before. Your story, how God has been changing you, how you've been working through these hard times, that story needs to be shared. You know, the, the Latin word for distract us, distraction comes from the Latin distractus, which literally means to draw or pull apart. 
in a world where uh, a wealth of information where we are 24 7 getting downloads there's a poverty of attention and your face your story your presence even if it's just over coffee or even over zoom can mean so much more than it ever has before in this day of distraction where everyone's being pulled apart and god would just say your mission field starts with those that you know the best we must practice giving people our attention first of all, our attention vertically to the lord and then giving attention to each other and so our community builder discussion question is who are 10 people that i know i can begin to pray for this week remember where we want to go in person we must go first in prayer so let's start by praying for them and I'm, I'm saying 10 because, you know, the guy was sent back to 10 towns. So let's not even start with 10 towns. Let's just start with 10 people that we already know, but are maybe far from God. Maybe they don't even know the Lord, but we know them and they know us. Let's begin to pray for them. And as we do, what ends up happening is God begins to open up our heart and we begin to look for opportunities to be able to share with them about the love of Jesus and how God has changed us. Now you can imagine one of the, the questions the man would ask before Jesus left on the boat and sent him back to his, his family and his friends was, well, what am I supposed to say, right? How many parables had this guy heard from Jesus? Zip. How many uh, teachings on the kingdom of heaven? How many beatitudes did this guy know? <laughs> Nothing. He hadn't heard a single teaching from Jesus. He had been changed, obviously, transformed by the power of Jesus. But he never heard a single teaching. And yet somehow Jesus thought it was going to be effective to send this man back. Why? Because all he had to say was what happened to him. I was blind. But now I see. I was a prisoner. And now I'm free. You see, the catalytic command leads to catalytic face-to-face -face conversations. You go to those you know, and you just tell what you know. Now, it's, it's amazing because if you look here again in Mark 5.20, you see, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. What, what did he say? What did he tell him? The, all, all that he knew at that point. All he knew was that Jesus was real and that he had sent those demons fleeing and he was now restored, renewed, his identity returned. And that's all he had to share and that's all he needed to share. And it says, and all the people were amazed. I, I underline that in, in your notes, all all the people were amazed. Every single one of those neighbors. You see, if he had got on that boat with Jesus and gone back to Galilee, he would have missed the opportunity to share this with everybody that he knew. When he walked back into those 10 towns, fully dressed, fully alert, fully conscious of what it is that God had done, clearly communicating face to face with these people, it was the most powerful witness. The most powerful sermon that can be preached is the one that comes out of your story. You see, you just I, I've gone to so many conferences. I've gone to Bible college. I've, I've read multiple books. And, and yet I still am always kind of 
a little bit nervous or afraid about how to share Jesus with people. And I love how simple Jesus makes it here, right? You just share what you know, wherever it is that you're at. Even if you're watching this right now and you've just recently come to know Jesus, that's where you start. Just share what you know. And I know the immediate thing that comes up is, but what if someone asks me a question? I don't know how to answer, right? That's always the big fear. What if they start asking me like, you know, some God question or something I don't know? Listen, let me just let you off the hook right here, right now. here's, Here's what you say. Someone asks you something you don't know. Just say, I don't know. No, seriously. God doesn't need you to be his PR agent. You don't have to be the Bible answer man or the Bible answer woman. No, the reason why you are going to have a catalytic conversation is because you're just going to share what it is that you know. The message is in the mess. And here's the great thing. People that want to argue, they'll argue no matter how much you know. They just will. But people that are hungry, people that are thirsty, guess what they can't argue with? They can't argue with your story. They, they knew who you were before and they know who you are now. They can't argue that. And it's the convincing proof that works into their life. And, and I, I know it's easier to just stay where we're at with those that we know, that are fellow Christians, and just kind of sing our kumbaya songs. And I, I know that it's easier that way. It would have been easier for that guy to hop on that boat with the disciples because they were all followers of Jesus. But if we do that, we can't ever be the catalyst that's going to bring about the change. I think about the fact that the, my parents, they, they, all their family, all their friends were in Portland, Oregon, where I was born and my brother was born. And yet God called my dad who had just, he just, he was a chef. He just finished um, culinary school. He was a chef there in Portland. And God called my parents and, and just my brother and I, when we were really young, I was age five, to go to Kona and help plant a church. They weren't ministers They knew Jesus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, but they'd never done anything like this before, but God called them. So they left that that comfort, all those people that they knew, and they went to Kona. And it was there in Kona. I think we have some pictures here. I mean, you can just see. We were so white in in Hawaii. It's called a haole, right? And then it was so amazing because... Then this, the Matsuyama family, my parents led them to the Lord, and then they invited us into their family. And, uh, and it, they just made them a part of their ohana, as it's known in Hawaiian. There's me right there eating something, of course. I, I was always, always eating something. And it was so amazing because uh, my parents built a bridge to the Matsuyamas, right, to come to know Christ. But then they built that bridge to us to welcome us into their family. And you just never know how God is going to use relationships. You just never know. There's a reason why he's going to send you to share your story because all these years later, I would be sent back to Kona to actually help restart a church. And when I got there, I was able to reconnect with these kids right here. Go to the next picture. There they are right there. I was able to reconnect with the Matsuyama family that I played with as a kid, inviting them to back to church. I was able to reconnect with my aunties over there. It was amazing. And on top of all of that, God using this story to build this bridge, there was a story of something I wasn't even aware about that happened at that time. You see... When Clyde Matsuyama was led to the Lord by my dad, Clyde went back to those he knew. He, he, he worked in construction. 
and Clyde used to, at the end of work, play, um, you know, all kinds of music, and he used to get drunk with all of his guys on his crew, and when he got saved, he was radically changed, and just like the man in, in the Decapolis, Clyde went back, and he instead of playing uh, rock and roll music, he started playing scripture. And all the guys, instead of drinking, he was like, he, he wouldn't drink anymore. He would go home. And one of the guys there on that, on that crew wanted to find out how he had been changed. His name was Kalani. And he wanted to find out how this change had happened to Clyde. And Clyde said, hey, I came to know Jesus. And Kalani, who was going to AA at the time and was trying to stay dry, he was like, hey, whatever it is that happened to you, because he saw the change in his boss, he's like, I want that to happen. And Clyde's like, okay, well, why don't you come with me to church next week? So Kalani shows up to church where my family went to church and Kalani asked Christ into his heart. Now Kalani goes back and his life has changed and he goes back to his family, one of which was his son, Makana. Now this is just, a, it's a mind-blowing story and I'm just giving you just a brief picture of it. But I want you to see what happens when we go back to those we know and we just share what we know. God can affect an amazing change that lasts for decades, spans generations, and allows us to reach more people than we ever thought we could have. In fact, here's a quick little story of a conversation I had with Makana about how God knit our hearts together over the years. Take a look at this. And I love how out of all the places that God could have called us, uh, any of the houses when we were coming here, uh, he called us to this house right here. Because <laughs> it just so happened that you yeah. lived right there. Right. It's almost right. like God was up to something, huh? Now that we look back, we can see that that wasn't an accident. <laughs> no, not at all. God's divine design. And, and I, I think about that first day that you and I... Um, met. Actually, our kids met first, right? Right. We had the Matson trailer right. rolled in right here and we're unloading stuff. And I'm like, well, how come my kids aren't helping me? Where are they? And I look over and I know why they weren't helping me because they were playing with your kids. Right. And Tammy <laughs> says, hey, I met the guy across the street and he's a pastor. You should come meet him. <laughs> I love coming back to Kona mm. because, I mean, it was in these waters that I got water baptized, right. you know, as a keiki. And it was right across there where we had church and we lived, it was called the Tradewinds back then. And my parents were, you know, worked in the halfway house there and there was a church right there. And I, I that's where I knelt by the bed mm. and asked Christ into my heart. So coming back here is oh, like coming back to my, wow. my spiritual roots. Wow. And I, I, maybe it's the, uh, going back over this amazing God story. Maybe it's, it's this gorgeous setting, but like I'm having a hard time mm. holding my uh, tears back because I realize how much God has orchestrated just through this friendship. Yeah. I think I had told you when we had left uh, New Hope Seattle, having been there for 10 years, one of my big prayers was, God, I, I really need friends for my kids mm. and I really need a friend because I'm leaving a lot of friends and you can't get through life without good no. friends. And, uh, and when we moved in across the street from you guys, it was the friendship of our children that led to our friendship. Mm -hmm. And then when we began to talk story, we realized it was the friendship of my dad and, his, and, and Clyde yeah. that led to your dad coming to right. know the Lord. And I realized in this moment right here that of, out of all the glorious and grand plans that we have, sometimes the greatest thing that we have in our lives is a friend. Right. And I just... Right. Um, I stand in awe and I thank God for your friendship because mm. even though we're on different islands, uh, we're going to do this together. Yes, we are.
Isn't that incredible? I mean, it's just mind-blowing that God knew that all of this stuff would happen just because my dad and mom shared their story, Clyde and Iola Matsuyama shared their story, then Kalani Delovio shared his story with his son, and then God ends up uniting our stories all these years later, and now Makana is pastoring that church going to those he knows, right? Because he grew up in Kona. He's a surfer. He's in construction. So he's reaching way more people in Kona than I could have by simply sharing with those he knows what he knows about Jesus. Now we see the same thing happening here. When when he goes back, something happens. And fast forward, we don't know how much time took place between Mark 5 and Mark 7, but I want you to see the fruit of this man's obedience to go to those he knew. Verse 31, it says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. Ah, so he's back there again. Uh, so he's not just reaching Jews in this revival that's about to take place. He's also reaching Gentiles because look what happens in 8 verse 1. During those days and now the large crowd gathered since they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come from a long distance. Okay. This is just mind-blowing. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but it's not just Jews in this crowd that's about to see the feeding of the 5,000. It's Gentiles. And these Gentiles come from where? The 10 towns, the Decapolis. Now, again, we don't know how much time passed between chapter 5 and chapter 7, but however much time that was, a week, a month, a year, we don't know. But however much time that was, there was one man who was changing those 10 towns with one story to the point where all of these 10 towns who couldn't wait for Jesus to leave after he sent their pigs over the cliff. Now those 10 towns are literally traveling miles just to hang on every word Jesus would say. How would they even know to go out and meet this man? How would they even know that this was the savior of the world? Because one man whose name we don't know talked about the name he did know that saved his life and all of these other people that were totally closed off to Jesus would now be open to knowing Jesus for themselves it's the catalyst it's the story of one person being willing to go to those they know being to share being willing to share what they know and Jesus had looked at that demon-possessed man when he walked onto that shore and he saw a man whose story would change 10 towns. When Jesus looks at you, he sees a man and a woman whose story will change the lives of those around them if you will share it. Your story plus God's story makes history. God wants to do that. Your story is so important. We even see at the end of the age how the devil is ultimately overcome. Jesus sent those demons packing, but ultimately the devil and all of his demons are going to be destroyed according to Revelation 12, 11, which says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, what Jesus did for us on the cross, and the word of their testimony. We're going to beat the enemy. 
by what Jesus has done and by sharing of what Jesus has done and not loving our lives unto the death. Again, we have to get over ourselves. We have to get over that fear of what are people going to say? What are they going to think? What if it's awkward? What if it's strange? Let's just get past all of that. These are the last days. Let's kick the enemy in the teeth by start sharing the story with those around us. In fact, that's our community builder discussion question. Share with your house church this week, those that you're sitting with and watching this with right now. What's one story I can share right now of how Jesus changed my life? Just if, if you can share it in this safe group in your house church and just share that story, it's going to be a lot easier to share with those at work or your neighbors and your friends. Let's just share those stories of how Jesus changed our lives. You know, I, I just love this because even if no one else is willing to share it, this man was willing to do it. Would you be willing to take that stand? Would you be willing to, in your workplace, just share your story with one of those 10 people that we're praying for? Now, I know this is going to sound weird, but I just want you to look at your feet. Yeah, go ahead. Look at your feet. Because Jesus thinks those feet are beautiful. <laughs> Maybe you're saying, hey, John, uh, you haven't seen my feet. These feet are not beautiful. That's why I keep them covered with socks and shoes. But Jesus actually thinks your feet are beautiful. Look, it says here in Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Listen, this world is filled with bad news, horrific news. We, it's, we are desperate. People are desperate to find a place to put their hope. And you and I, we've already found it. His name is Jesus. And, and though bad news proliferates all of the news media, your life and mine can be that light to show people there is a way out and there is a way through. And I just want to close with the kind of a, a quick illustration on, on how important you are as a catalyst for change to be present for those around you. Now, just like the man who is changed by God, he met Jesus and the Holy Spirit changed him from the inside out. You and I, we are the catalyst for change. We are that story, and we are the one that's been set on fire. But if that man got in the boat instead of going back to the ten towns, less, less, this, the fire would have gone out. Nothing would have happened. Nothing would have changed in those ten towns. They wouldn't have met Jesus for themselves. But Jesus said, I want you to go back to those ten towns, and so I want you to take that flame... Instead of burning out, I want you to burn bright. And I want you to surround yourself with people that need to know who I am. And I want you to take that story and I want you to share it with everybody that you see. You see, a coal that stands by itself, it's going to go out. Anybody that barbecues, you know that's true. But the reason why you want to put coals in a pile like this is that they actually begin to generate heat. The catalyst is the flame, the story, how God has changed you. 
And if we keep that to ourselves or we just keep that with those who already know Jesus, then guess what? It's going to go out. Our flame is going to go out. Our love is going to grow cold. But if we will take that and share that with those who need to know him, look what happens. Instead of uh, smoke, we are able to see a fire that just is going to continue to grow. The heat from this, because it's piled together, it's going to just continue to grow to the point where if I had some burgers, I could cook them. More importantly, the heat from your story when you're surrounded by those who need to know it and your family and your friends, guess what? That heat is only going to grow. Now, right now, we're surrounded by the reality of the horror of fires and how fire can bring destruction. Here in California, I got friends in Oregon and Washington. Houses are being burned down. Evacuations are happening. That's the horror of a spark that is unwanted. And wrongly timed. But what if we flipped that and we saw what God could do with a holy fire? Let's just finish our time together by praying that God would put those fires out. But God would light a fire here that we could share with those around us. So God, right here and right now, God, with this flame that's just getting brighter, God, we know that there's destructive flames right now with people that we know here in California, all over, just acres, thousands of acres, God, homes and families, God, in Oregon and Washington and Montana. And God, we just ask, God, that you, the God of the universe, would bring about the right conditions that they would go out. We thank you for our first responders, God, that are laying their lives down, putting, going into harm's way to save other people and other property. And we just pray, God, that you would put those flames out. But God, that you would allow our flame to grow. God, that our passion for those who don't know you would increase. That we would know we can't just wait for someone else to share of the good news of Jesus Christ. No, you called us to go to those we know and to share what we know. And that this fire in us, this passion for you would grow and would light a fire in those around us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us today. I can't wait to continue to study the commission with you next week. Make sure as you do this with your house church, maybe you guys even grab some coals and do a barbecue and talk about how you can reach those around you. I'm going to go make some steaks. I'll talk to you guys soon.